Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to Driven to the Cross radio broadcast as part of Christ Covenant Church here in McAllen, Texas. I'm Dr. Alfred Fisher, and I am so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us this morning. I want to remind you that at 1030, you can come to a live service at our church, which is located at 20 West Nolana Avenue in McAllen, Texas. We hope and pray that this message finds you well, that you are healthy, that you are being blessed by the hand of Almighty God. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Our Father in heaven, Father, as we come before your throne, we seek to do so not with any form of selfishness, not with any intent of our own, but just simply to come and be in your presence. And we want to thank you for your hand being upon the lives of those whom you have called to salvation. Lord, we want to come to you and thank you for being our God. We also want to ask you, Lord, to heal our land. Draw this nation back to you. Draw this nation to a place, oh God, where it honors you. Pray for this nation, Lord, with all the political divide, with all the hate, with everything that is taking place. I ask that you would put your hand upon our leaders, that you would prick the minds and the hearts of those in leadership, that you will bind up the evil, that you will cast it aside, that our leaders would honor you in truth, in righteousness, and in your holiness. Lord, as we are coming up on our election, I ask you to please have your way. Lord, I don't ask for the leaders that we deserve. I simply ask for leaders who are humble and obedient to you. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that each of us have to minister in your name, to serve in your kingdom. Stir our hearts and our minds to be active and faithful. Show us your ways we may acknowledge you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my friends, today we are still in our series on the session. And I really hope that you're not getting bored with it. It's a fascinating series that I hope that you are growing with. And we are talking about various aspects of Christ being the judge. We're talking about different parts of that. And you know, one of the problems that we have is, as Christians is we oversimplify our gospel. And what I mean by that is not that salvation is not a free gift. That, that I, I'm espousing and I believe. But... We cheapen the grace, and as a result of doing so, oftentimes our convictions go by the wayside. And I want to show you something today. It should both be encouraging, it should also be something that causes an alarm, something that causes us to check our hearts and our minds, because the judgment of God while he's going to judge the quick and the dead, is not just 
at the time of death. It's not just at the time of his return. But we must remember that we as Christians have a responsibility. We have an accountability to God in all things. And God does not hold his people without security. He does not hold his people without account. He does not just look the other way as society changes. He stays the same. And that's something that I want us to understand, that our God changes not. And what I want to show you today is something that I'm hoping will quicken our hearts and cause us to become a people of prayer, a people that are called to prayer, a people that are called to action through prayer. And so what am I referring to? I want to show you that God in his times for judgment does something. And that is that he judges his own house first. The first people who are going to be judged by God are those who claim to be in Christ. And this is because the people of God, as the people of God, we are responsible for teaching others about God accurately. And you may say, well, isn't that your job, preacher? Aren't you supposed to be teaching us? Well, yes. And that's one reason that I strive so hard to make sure that when I tell you something, it is accurate. That's one reason that the only time I have ever had fear or tremble is when I stand behind the pulpit before the people of God. It is God that I fear, not man. But I tell you this because as Christians, all of us are called unto the service of God. All of us are called unto a ministry. That's literally what ministry and minister means, active service or one who serves. We are not to be on the sidelines. We are not to be setting aside um, our lives in such a way that we ignore what goes on around us. Part of the job of the Christian is to serve in the community where God has placed them. And as such, our lives, our walk with Christ, is to be demonstrated in agreement with the Word of God and to do so in an accurate manner. Now, why am I harping on accuracy? Well, if any of you knew my background, you'd understand the importance of accuracy. However, let's take a look at what is transpiring in our political climate today. Many of you have probably watched debates. For years you've watched debates. And what happens? They're filled with lies. And we seem to give politicians a pass. However, if a Christian is caught lying it is far more damning to people than one who is not a Christian. Why? Because of what it is we espouse, who we worship as God. Now, my friends, this is important, because even those who are not Christians are watching you. They will say, well, aren't you a Christian? I thought you were a believer in the Bible. Have you ever had that question asked of you? Well, let me take you, first of all, we're going to go into the New Testament. And I want to show you in 2 Timothy, 
chapter 2, a specific verse. And when you hear this, I want you to think for a moment. Think very carefully about what it is I'm reading you. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to proved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Right here in the Bible, it tells us to what, what we are to do. And yet, how many of us as Christians could say, I, I do that. I have studied the word. I know it. I'm able to tell you what is right and what is wrong. I'm able to tell you what the Bible says. But yet, many people today who profess to be followers of Christ can't tell you what's in the Bible. They cannot tell you who Jesus Christ is. Now, let me read a few verses around this so you have some context. Let's go back up into verse 8 of this chapter. Remember that Jesus Christ is the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers, and study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babbling. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hemene and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal that the Lord knoweth them, that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So you see, here, the Apostle Paul is writing young Timothy, and he's telling them these things that they're to do, that they're to demonstrate. Did you happen to catch that word seal, though? Did you happen to catch that? That's the mark that God places upon you to seal you into eternity as his. This is the security of the believer. This is a theological point that when you have truly professed Christ and you are bought by the blood of the Lamb, you are sealed unto Him. Now, in case you think this is a new thought, turn with me if you have your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, take a quick jaunt over into the book of Ezekiel. And we are going to go to Ezekiel chapter 9. And I want to show you something. 
as pertaining to how God is judging from his house first. Now, my friends, the Bible tells us that there will be times of trouble, times of despair, that there will be times and where we as individuals struggle. Today, I think you could say that we're in one of those times. You see things all over the Internet about how 2020 is just a messed up year. Well, let me tell you, I think that God is stirring the hearts of people and calling them to start to pray. We can see evidence of this throughout the book of Ezekiel if we were to do a study on it. It's very fascinating. But let me take you into Ezekiel chapter 9 for now. And I'm going to start at verse 1. And we're going to go through a few verses here, but not that many. So just sit back and get comfortable while I'm reading this. Get out your highlighter, your pencil, and, and let's, let's talk about some of this. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1 says, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near. In other words, divine direction given to leaders, call, call them together. Even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side, and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Now, I want to stop right there uh, at verse 4 for just a moment because I want to tell you something. This is the mark of a true believer. Those who stand against, who stand against the cultural sin and the things that displease God. At this time, this is a vision that Ezekiel is having. And when he's having this vision, he's listening to God give direction. But did you notice who God said to put his mark upon? Those who cry against, who moan against these things. Listen, let me read this to you again. And set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that are done in the midst thereof. This is a thing that we struggle with today. Churches and Christians today condone the abominations that God has decried, that God spoke against, that He set a standard against and said, this is wrong. But in the attempt to be socially pleasing and acceptable, we often, oh, it's okay, you know, it's all right for people to go and do these things today. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Well, we can just, you know, hey, they got a great voice. It, it doesn't matter what they're doing. They, we want them to come and sing. Or, 
Why can't they be a Sunday school teacher when they're having an affair? Why can't they go and do these things? What's wrong with that? Well, I want to tell you something. If God has said it is sin and said that it is wrong, then it is wrong. And we need believers to stand up and say, no. Look, God set His mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others He said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maid and little children and women. But hear this next part, church. Hear this next part. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And here is, here is the terrifying part for churches, and for people who do not repent. And begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. My friends, There's a reason that God says, and start at my house. And start at my house. That is because throughout time, the evil heart of men, the unrepentant nature of men, of mankind, has sought to pervert and corrupt for their own personal gain. They have sought to defile through just little tweaks, little things that they thought they can get away with. But God sees it. And when the house of God is defiled because of people like that, the nation goes astray. When the house of God does not fear God, it's no longer a house of God. The lampstand has been removed. My dear friends, if you're hearing this, I'm begging you. I'm begging you as a pastor. I'm begging you as a brother in Christ. I'm begging you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to humble yourselves and pray. Humble yourselves and pray that we would have a nation full of people that would stand up in the midst of all the turmoil, of all the sin, and cry against the abominations that take place, against the sin that is done openly, wantonly, flagrantly in our midst. Dear friends, The Bible says that my house should be called a house of prayer. Not a house of entertainment. Not a playground. Not a football stadium. But a house of prayer. And God spoke and put His mark upon those people who did speak out against the sins 
against the abominations. Has God marked you today? Has he placed his seal upon you? Has he taken you, called you by name, placed his seal upon you, and are you so convicted and hate the sin, despise the sin, that you will stand up for the righteousness and holiness of Almighty God? Or will you turn a blind eye to it and say, well, you know, I see it. I don't really like it, but, you know, I'm not involved with it. It's okay. Oh, you know, I'm not really, uh, I don't like it. It bothers me. Oh, it really makes me uncomfortable. But, hey, they have the right to do what they want to do. Yeah, they have a right. They have a right to go to hell. But you have the responsibility, being called by God, to stand up for the righteousness. Because, after all, did not Jesus Christ himself die upon Calvary's tree, shed his blood to pay for the sin of mankind? Did he not go willingly to the cross? Did he not conquer death? Did he not go to prepare a place for us? And yet, and yet, oh my friends, and yet, what do we do? We sin silently. We endorse ideas that are unbiblical. We do not stand up for the righteousness that God has called us to. And I'm not talking about societal sins. I'm on the societal sin bandwagon. I'm talking about when God has called you to a righteous and holy life, and you have espoused Him to be your Savior, and you a part of the Bride of Christ, you as an individual give an account for your action, or lack thereof. My friends, it is time for the church and the individuals in the church to repent because the judgment of God starts at the sanctuary of God. The judgment of God begins in the sanctuary. It begins in the house of God. And yet... We mock it. We turn churches into circuses. We turn churches into dramas. We turn churches into carnivals. We turn churches into a rock concert where people leave feeling pumped up because of the music. They leave feeling pumped up because, boy, that guy sure knows how to give a good message. I feel great. I feel happy. I'm having my best life right now. But I tell you something, when we alter words and we remove things such as sin and exchange it for mistake or abomination and change it for uneasiness, when we remove the things that and try to be more palatable, we are wrong. 
We need to have churches, pastors, and Christians being willing to stand up. Because God here in this vision to Ezekiel said, and begin at my sanctuary. Now, let's think that is only Old Testament. Here very briefly, as I have just a couple minutes left with you this morning. I want to take you into Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, as you know, is one of the Gospels. That's a powerful Gospel. Luke the physician, when he wrote this, was definitely inspired by Almighty God. But Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to read to you verse 15. But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now in and of itself, you might go, oh wow, that's kind of interesting. But what does it mean? Well, let me try and explain to you. This is the parable of the sower and Christ explaining it. As I have just a couple minutes, I want to quickly read, starting at verse 9. And his disciple asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to other in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. To those by the wayside are they that hear that cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation they fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they, which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring forth no fruit to perfection. And verse 15, But that on this good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. My friends, I would submit to you that many times today, today we have a plethora of people who are like those being choked by the thorns. We need to remove from our eyes, remove from our hearts, the things of the world. We do that through prayer. We do that through seeking the face of God, through reading the Bible. Let me read verse 14 to you one more time. And that which all, and that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring forth no fruit to perfection. How many times do people leave church, 
just to return unchanged in their lives. Judgment starts at the house of God. And we must be diligent. So I ask you again in closing, do you have the mark of God upon you? It's time to pray. I'm trying to find out. But I want to invite you to come and join us here at Christ Covenant Church. We're at 1320 West Nolana Avenue. You can find us on the internet at ChristCovenantMcAllen.org. On Facebook at Christ Covenant McAllen. We're also on YouTube at Christ Covenant McAllen. There you can find our sermons. You can find out about us. You can drop us an email. You can even donate. Give your tithe and your offering to this church. I assure you that all the money that comes in goes straight into ministry. May God bless you and keep you. I'm Dr. Alfred Fisher. Thank you and God bless.